This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, the Canadian Cancer Society is out with its annual report, and some of the highlight numbers are pretty scary. It says that one in two Canadians will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lifetime, and that one in four will die of some form of the disease. Cancer is still the leading cause of death in the country, but there's been a great deal of progress. The thing is, it's patchy. Different numbers for different cancers. For instance, thyroid, testicular, prostate cancer all have survival rates of 95% or more. But pancreatic cancer has the lowest survival rate of all 23 cancers that were followed at 8%. And staggering as these numbers all are, they are the reflection of something good. More and more people are getting cancer and more and more people will get cancer. And it's because we're living longer. Cancer is a disease of aging generally. So uh, we're getting it because we haven't died of something else first. One of the things that these numbers really confirm is that cancer basically touches everyone. And we want to hear from you. How has it touched you? What would you like to know about it? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And, and one of the most important aspects of this report is that there is some details on which cancers have modifiable risk factors at, that can be Prevented. So right now I'm going to Dr. Rob Nuttall, the Assistant Director of Health Policy at the Canadian Cancer Society. Dr. Nuttall, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. What did you find was the most surprising finding of this? One in two people? Yeah, you know, this, this number that, you know, half of Canadians, so that's, you know, you or me or the person beside us, well, we have a cancer diagnosis at some point in their lifetime. Um, for many of us, that diagnosis already happened. I know that, you know, your own past and history with the disease. For many people, this is going to be something that their future has for them as well. And But I, also that reflection that this really is, you know, attributed to our aging population. And more than 90% of the cancer cases diagnosed in this country are in people 50 years of age and older. So, you know, it's that success that we're having at, you know, other areas or our longevity or healthy lifestyles making us live longer. But cancer is there that as we get older and that risk goes up as we live longer. That's right. And 45% of those cases were in people over 70. 
Um, another statistic that I found very interesting and encouraging, and this is as of January 2009, and more than 810,000 Canadians had been diagnosed with cancer in the previous 10 years and were still alive. I found that very encouraging. Yeah, and I, you know, as we look over time and we see, you know, you know, that number, that one in two is those people who are diagnosed with a cancer. And for people who are diagnosed, what we want to see is them surviving that cancer ideally um, and seeing the number of people who are alive from a cancer diagnosis. They're seeing survival rates improving with the overall survival rate of being, you know, for any type of cancer being at 60%. But as you mentioned, some cancers as high as, you know, 95% or higher Try, you know, if we can get to that day where all cancers are in that high survival rate, I think, you know, we'll, 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 that's the progress that we want to be seeing in this country. Mm-hmm. Well, the largest cancer killer is, of course, lung cancer, but it has also seen a decrease in mortality, especially among men. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, with lung cancer, we, we you know, are are at the point now where we're seeing what we call a decrease in the death rate from dying from lung cancer going down. So when you look proportionally at the number of people year over year, that number ultimately is going down. Um, this is really a reflection of changing smoking rates. Um, and it, it was efforts that were made 20, 25 years ago of talking about smoking and getting people to change their smoking patterns. And it, it took time for us to start seeing this progress, but we are now seeing it. Um, and for women, we're at that point where you know the, the rates have now stabilized and are anticipated to go down too. So yeah, it was, was after- sorry, it was one of those anomalies where men were quitting smoking, and uh, <laughs> women were continuing to smoke, and uh, that was showing up in the health statistics. Exactly, it seemed to take some time. It was whether women were late to starting the smoking and, and not, you know, paying attention to the to stop smoking messaging or other factors. But it took time for the smoking rates in women to change in this country. It, it happened much later than it did in men. Um, but it did happen. We're seeing the smoking rates go down in, in both um, men and women. And we're going to be seeing that, that difference, that you know, by putting that effort into smoking and tobacco control, we can ultimately, it takes time, but we can, start to, we can see progress happening for, for lung cancer, but also for the other, you know, 16 other types of cancer that smoking is also attributed to. You know? I, I wanted to ask about that, and I just want to say we are going to be getting to the phones in a moment, but uh, one of the things I found very interesting in this report is that you kind of uh, quantified cancers with modifiable risk uh, factors. So what percentage of lung cancer is actually caused by smoking, and what are some of the other cancers that are affected by smoking. Well, we have you know the the, the best quali- you know best amount of evidence for lung cancer, and that you know somewhere around eighty five percent of all the wow. lung cancers that we see are attributed to to smoking. Um, for other cancer types in the, in the mouth, it, it may be around half of them. Sometimes you have like alcohol or in, things like HPV causing some of the mouth cancer. So it's not all of the, the mouth cancers due to tobacco, but it's still a large proportion. And um, it's, you know, there, there's about 16 different types of cancers that we now know for sure smoking plays either a major or a partial role in causing that, that cancer. So, and, and what are some of those? Um, these would be cancers like, you know, um, but, you know, lung cancer. There's a small amount of pancreatic cancer, liver cancers, mouth and throat cancers, 
uh, cancers in the, in the sort of the, you know, the esophagus, sort of where you're breathing it in, where it's exposed to the smoke, but also some of those parts of your body that process those chemicals that you're breathing into your blood supply. So that's why your, your liver and your pancreas would be affected as well. And, and there are some, even some blood cancers as well that are um, due to smoking as well. Okay, uh, let's take a call from uh, Natalie in Scarborough. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. I'm listening to these stats and I'm freaking out. Don't don't freak out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why. I am a breast cancer survivor. Congratulations. Two years. Thank you. Two years. Very good. Yeah. Yes. And it came from nowhere. So it wasn't in the family. Um, I did the genetic testing. I didn't have the things that, that it could have been caused by that. It was something that I felt. I went, that was on Sunday. Monday, I was at my doctor. Tuesday, I was doing ultrasounds and everything else. This thing happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I just want to say, from what you're saying, uh, it, it's a message I try to give to people. Uh, listen to your body yep. and get yourself checked. And Natalie, you're not alone because most cases of breast cancer are what they call sporadic. It's, they just kind of happen. Exactly. And I think, honestly, Libby, if I hadn't hurt, if it didn't hurt me, I may have not found it as quickly as I did, mm-hmm. which is very scary. But mm. um, I went for a couple operations, one for the lumps and the other one for the lymph nodes, mm-hmm. just in case. And thank God that was clear. And I'm listening to these stats and I'm, I know a lot of people and I know cancer can come back. They're not even sure... Um, they didn't even call mine a one because... Stage. Yeah, as in a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said if I hadn't found it so fast, I mean, that could have changed dramatically. Well, that's that's very true. That's very true. Uh, let's bring uh, Dr. Nuttall into this. So uh, the overall survival rate, five-year survival rate for breast cancer is uh, up around 87 88%. Uh, what role do you think uh, detection has mammograms? Yeah, well, you know, for, for breast cancer or, you know, you know, even things like melanoma or, you know, other cancers, detection plays a big role. We have programs, you know, the breast cancer screening programs or cervical cancer screening programs that, you know, are, you, know, you don't have any symptoms, and you, but you, you know, you, so the test will find something before you might be aware but there's also a big role to play for being aware of your own body, of finding something that looks unusual, whether it's on your skin, whether it's under your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for testicular cancer, just being aware of, you know, what, you know, what's normal for you and, and reporting something that, that seems different or um, any time you feel something, with, you know, a symptom you might think that's unusual, always report it to your doctor. Um, there's a big role to play for the screening programs. There's a big role to play for people just being aware of, of, of themselves and, and their health and, and having that, that you know, ability to talk to a doctor about it and, and have that test to follow up to either rule out or confirm something. Okay. Uh, Natalie, anything else you want to tell us about? I just wanted to say that I, my case, I was at Princess Margaret, and they were amazing. Yes. Amazing. And there were some volunteers, Hello? so many of them, that said, oh, I was stage four, and that was 28 years ago. And it really helped. 
Um, yeah, there are a lot of volunteers, and uh, some people with even advanced press, breast cancer can survive for a yep. long time, and that's, that's a, I guess, a good message. Natalie, thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, there's, there, there's something I want to ask that's, that's one of the things that researchers talk about when it comes to early detection, because what you hear some say now is they say, okay, um, there are a lot of breast cancers uh, that are fairly curable, and it's better if you find them early. But the ones that are bad, um, people are surviving longer with them because you find them earlier, and uh, they're bad cancers and they're not curable, and you, you die when you would have died anyway, except they're found earlier. It's called a lead time bias. Dr. Nuttall, what can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, there are a number of, you know, well, first of all, cancer is a very complicated disease, and, and there's not one average cancer um, that you would see. It's really a collection of over 100 different types of diseases. Absolutely. And so cancers, the individual cancers, behave differently. Um, and as we've gotten better at looking for cancers, we were able to you know, find cancers that perhaps behave differently or don't follow what you would you know, think might be the average course of a cancer development. And so you do have cancers that happen so fast that you can't do anything about them. Um, we have you know, other cancers that develop so slowly that they may never um, actually go on to cause any symptoms. They, they might just exist without growing or invading or, or causing you harm. And, and so now we're at the point of, can we better identify these cancers? Can we identify those cancers that maybe don't require the, as, the aggressive treatment? Or can we get better at, at you know, getting those treatments for those more aggressive cancers so that we can take a different approach? Okay, um, let's go to Diane in Mississauga. And I see you have a question about food and diet. And uh, Diane, go ahead, because uh, I, I was going to ask Dr. Nuttall about uh, the importance of food and diet and what role a bad diet has to play in cancer. Diane, go ahead. Well, I've been made very aware of the harms of GMO, genetically modified organisms. I believe that it's intentional to harm human beings, what they're doing with our food supply, our produce, the meat, the animals, the soil, the things they're doing. Well, and that's 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 not uh, been proven. A lot of people believe that, but it's not been proven. Do you want to ask Dr. Nuttall about uh, what the diet stuff that has been proven and when it terms uh, when it comes to preventing cancer? Well, I, I well I I I firmly believe. Um, it has a big bearing on, on people's health, and um, I, w I will research about that personally, but um, I think you're a step in the right direction to not just um, eat anything out there. A lot of stuff isn't real food, even the milk, even the cheese. And I think uh, a lot of the stuff is really quite harmful in the long run. Yep, processed food is definitely a problem. Thanks, Diane, for your call. Yeah, and, and you know that's you know there are a lot of you know elements around our diets that that do play a role. There's the role that diet has on our body weights, the excessive calories, but also you know, this processing of foods. The foods high in salt, or you know some of the smoked or cured meats, and some of the chemicals. It's you know when they're in high amounts or consumed in excessive amounts, we see you know that influence on on cancer and. So there's a lot to be said around a healthy diet and healthy foods and some of those unhealthier foods 
in moderation for for playing a role in, in cancer prevention. Okay. Um, I want to get on to a special aspect of uh, the report, and that is pancreatic cancer. I see we have uh, Ida in Mississauga waiting to talk about uh, pancreatic cancer, and also we are going to bring Dr. Jim Biaggi into the conversation. Uh, he is a an oncologist in Kingston, and he's also on the board of Pancreatic Cancer Canada. Uh, Before we do that, we have to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more. And I'm going to give you the numbers again, because we also want to hear from you on this very important subject. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. And we'll be back with the two doctors and your calls after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about the Canadian Cancer Society's annual report. And this year, the Society took a special look at pancreatic cancer. Our listeners will know this is a subject that is very important to me. I am one of the very few survivors of pancreatic cancer. Uh, The survival rate is the lowest of all the 23 cancers that the Society studied in this report. It is only 8%. That means out of 100 people, eight people are alive five years later. I am going to hit my ninth anniversary in about a month, so I am extremely lucky. And I really want uh, more people to have that same outcome. I'm going to bring Dr. Jim Biaggi into the conversation. Dr. Biaggi, hi. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, congratulations. That's a, a very special anniversary, and uh inspiring, I think, to people listening. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, So why is this disease so tough, Dr. Biaggi? The the, the underlying problem is we don't really know the answer to that question. Uh, It's been described as a a cancer deep in the the abdomen and, and may not get detected until it's quite advanced. But we're starting to learn that perhaps it, unlike other cancers, behaves differently and sends uh, cancer seeds out into the rest of the body a lot earlier than than we would like and and well before it's detected and and that would mean advanced disease by the time it's detected uh yes that's that's usually the case for most people and and I know that by the time you experience symptoms it's usually too late because... correct uh, and uh, fortunately, there is a, a small group of people w- when they develop symptoms where it's detected at a point where it can be removed by surgery, and that's the only known way of curing it uh, in uh, today's uh, technology. That's right. I think only about 20% of uh, people with pancreatic cancer are eligible for the surgery, which is a very tough surgery. It is. And we we do have treatments after surgery that seem to help protect patients from recurrence, and they help modestly. But th- those, those, those uh, treatments are, are getting a little more active uh, with each passing year. Well, yeah, it's like we, we focus on um, the bad news, um, which is the survival rate for five years. But, but uh, there is some good news, and people are surviving longer. They are. And the... the um, un, as you mentioned, unlike other cancers, it, it does have quite a, a bleak outlook. But but we we take baby steps now, and we hope that 
that with time, uh, small percentage improvements in survival you know, start to escalate and become bigger improvements. Uh, I think um, you know there are one of the 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 bad pieces of information in this report that I was surprised at, uh, Doctor Nuttall. Maybe you can remind me the number. I'm sort of searching for it here. Uh, it had a number for people who only survived four months, and I'm not seeing it right here. Uh, do you remember offhand what that is, Doctor? Yeah, that, that number is uh, that you know the report shows that only about half of people, when they have their pancreatic cancer diagnosis, are still alive after four months. Wow, that's that's staggering. However, there there are more people, uh, Doctor Biaggi, who are surviving for a year and two years, right? Yeah. So, uh, and. Uh, one of one of the good news, good news items is I'm I'm starting to see more people who've had surgery and then had have had either radiation or chemotherapy or both afterwards, and and uh, seem to be surviving for several years, which is which is remarkable and, and and even being cured, but but also people who have advanced disease when we can treat it while patients are reasonably well can live you know well beyond that sort of four or six month benchmark. Which is not curing people, but is but is some good news to to allow people to live longer and live better. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I guess largely because of uh, ad- advances in chemotherapy, and also uh, what you're talking about is that even for the few who get surgery, recurrences were really quick, but now they get some of that chemo after their surgery. And 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 hopefully uh, either either have a delay before they have a recurrence or or simply don't recur, which is which is good news. So we are seeing those really low numbers of survival improve slowly, which is great. You know, just in the last few years, my father um, died ten years ago of pancreas cancer, so, and, I, and I've said to people that if he was diagnosed today, his outlook wouldn't really be that different, unfortunately. And we need to do a lot more work in this area. And I think the re- the report highlights that that there's a lot more activity in in the research which is great. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that slayed me was that it, it, it was the deadliest form of cancer and uh, until very recently, the least funded, uh, both with uh, research, charitable, philanthropic dollars, all of that. But, but as you said, that is starting to change. Yeah, it is, and we're seeing, it, we're seeing results. Um, immune therapies are all over the, uh, the news with respect to other cancers, and we're, we're starting to research those as well, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see some you know, striking results. Okay. Uh, Ida from Mississauga, you have a question about pancre- pancreatic cancer. Actually, Lib, I, um, I was diagnosed 16 years ago with pancreatic cancer. Wow. And um, as it turned out, like they, I went through everything that you probably went through. You know, they cut me from stem to stern, opened me wide up, um, had a quick biopsy, and regardless, they sewed me up, figuring she's dead. You know, she's got pancreatic cancer. For some reason, and I don't know why, I never, ever believed I had cancer. Like, that was in my mind. No, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. And I had something because I had lost 45 pounds. Now, putting that in perspective, I was uh, I used to be a size 7-8, uh, and now I'm like a size 0-2. Two. 
Okay, so you 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 were diagnosed with it, but that was an incorrect diagnosis. Well, then I found out that yes, actually, one of the doctors said, um, you know, I wouldn't leave the hospital. I would insist on a Whipple operation. Well, I didn't because I didn't think I had it. Well, uh, turns out I guess that you were right. Ida, thanks for your call. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. One lucky woman. Um, But uh, I guess that can happen sometimes. You get uh, a misdiagnosis. The numbers show that 5,500 people will be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer this year. Uh, And uh, Dr. Nuttall, what do you have to say about that? And 4,800 will die. Yeah, you know, you know, we want we want it this year to draw attention to pancreatic cancer. I, you know, when you look at the number of people who get it, people might think that number is low. But when you look at the number of people who die from it, forty eight hundred um, Canadians each year, that that makes pancreatic cancer the you know the fourth leading cause of cancer death in this country, and it, it won't be very long before it becomes the third leading cause of cancer death. Absolutely, and, I, and in the United States, it's already the second. And I know we're seeing this in other places as well. Where it's, it's a reflection that we're making progress much faster in other areas, and we're not making as much progress in pancreatic cancer. That it's it's moving up that list for you know for ranking for for cancer deaths. And I think that's you know we want to draw attention because we need to be you know thinking about let's not just think about the numbers of people who get these cancers, but let's you know can we change our investments into those areas where people are dying from it and, and use that as a new way of thinking and prioritizing, you know, where we're working and, and funding. And, and I think so drawing attention to pancreatic cancer this year, hopefully will you know, raise awareness about it and the need to, you know, put our efforts into that so we can see progress like we're seeing with other cancers. I, I think we're saying amen to that. And uh, Dr. Biagi, you told us a little bit about the research uh, that is going on. Um, what else can you tell us about it? Um, the, the the projections of it of pancreatic cancer becoming one of the deadliest causes of, of cancer death are are based on this um, inability to to either detect it early or or, or treat it, and um, we're trying to bend that curve so that the and that's where the, as Dr. Nuttall points out where the research is is so re- so much required. So focusing on trying to detect it earlier is is one strong aspect of, of current research and then treatments that either in, improve the likelihood that a, that a patient can have surgery or when the cancer is more advanced controlling it for l- longer than than the few months that we've heard about here yeah you know, those, those 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 research uh, efforts I, I from what i've seen are are, are increasing uh, globally, which is which is good news. And and uh, again, you know, f- focusing and and directing funds to cancers that that really need those answers more than cancers that already have a lot of answers. I, I think that's an important thing to try to get all of us to do. Uh, yeah, right. Those uh, um, those of us who who treat this cancer obviously want want more more um, research efforts. Um, so if that trend is, is changing, uh, we're, we're very pleased. Okay, let's uh, try to get a few more calls in. Rita in Burlington. Hi, Rita. Um, hi, Libby. Um, maybe I have a question around screening and the changing guidelines, you know, in particular for mammograms and pap smears. Mm-hmm. So now if 
the rate is one in two people, should uh, should individuals then be insisting that you have a yearly mammogram and a yearly pap, in particular as you get older? Um, Dr. Natal, do you want to take that? Yeah, um, you know, the, the screening guidelines, they do change and evolve over time as, as we learn, you know, who are the groups that, that best benefit. Um, and and uh, when you're looking, when you the pap test and the, the mammogram for breast cancer screening, a lot of the changes have been really not putting the efforts on the younger people, but putting the efforts on the older people where we see most of those cancers being diagnosed. So pap test guidelines have you know, moved from you know, being at 18 to now start screening at 21. Um, we're seeing most of the emphasis on mammograms being at, at 50 and older. Right. So, and it's not every year. It's if for people who are at average risk. For people uh, at average risk, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the intervals might be two years or yeah. three years. And that's really a reflection of you know, the average time of progression for these cancers. So we don't want to be doing, having people you know, be screened too infrequently because we increase our chances of finding more things or doing follow-up tests that aren't necessary. So it's really a balance of where will we find the most cancers while finding the least things that are not cancer and what are the right ages. And so the guidelines that are in place right now, we, people should still adhere to those. Um, but always, you know, these are guidelines continue to be evolved, and as you know, we learn more, they're going to continue changing. But for now, you know, talk to your doctor, follow what what your your province is recommending, because that's really you know the best approach to finding the most cancers. Yeah, and there there can be harms to too much screening. There are false positives. Uh, sometimes people get unnecessary biopsies, which are are invasive. So you know, um, and they cost the healthcare system a lot of money. So you want to do the amount that's just enough, but not too much. Correct. Yeah. You don't. You know. There's, yeah. And it's not just about the savings, but it's you know there's a personal toll for yeah. over tested or over biopsied uh, too many times if, if it's not really necessary. Okay. Thank you very much okay. for the information. You're very welcome. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye. We have Peter in Sutton. Peter. Hello. Hello. Hi, Libby. Hi, you're on the yes. air. Um, I lost my wife to pancreatic cancer more or over two years ago. Sorry to hear that. And thank you. And right out of the gates, it's germane to the subject. Uh, we were told so the emphasis should be uh, on the quality of life um, uh, as opposed to uh, getting hope or keeping our hopes up that uh, she would survive. Um I also, I told Dave uh, when I called in that I volunteer at the Stronic Cancer Center in Newmarket, and I find that there are a high degree of younger people coming in for treatment, young men, young women, and it's been made uh, note of that uh, on your program that is the aging population and young children that come in um, into the uh, clinic for treatment. And every new patient that comes in has a photograph taken for their file. And you can't help but notice that there are more and more photographs being taken, which um, lines up with the uh, comments about more and more people are reporting um, illnesses with cancer. Um, it is uh, obviously very concerning, and I'm on the front line uh, twice a week, and um, 
I just wanted to make my comments known. Uh, and, and being uh, involved with uh, the subject very closely um, through uh, my wife's uh, illness. She survived a little over a year um, uh, with pancreatic cancer. Peter, um, thanks for your call. Uh, we're sorry to hear about your wife, and boy, good for you for volunteering. Uh, that is so important, and it's very comforting for patients. Oh, and uh, it's it's giving back the treatment and care that my wife got was second to absolutely to none. So um, uh, it, it's it's a matter of giving back. That's what it boils down to. Anyway, oh. thank you for your time. Thank you, Peter. And, uh, you take care. Okay, thanks. Yeah, uh, I think that you know, there's, a, there's as he as he mentioned, it's you know, most of the cancers are in older people, but people are diagnosed with cancer at any age, and you know, if we have you know, ten percent of the cancers are in people younger than fifty. That's still over twenty thousand people every year who are younger than fifty who are being diagnosed with cancer. So, it is a cancer that can affect people at, at any age. Um, and even if most of the cases are in older people, there are still people at, at younger ages being diagnosed with cancer. Absolutely. And uh, we basically are out of time for this. So um, uh, thanks very much, Dr. Natal. Dr. Biaggi, what would you like to leave us with? Yes. Yeah, so the, the last caller made, made a good point about quality of life. Unfortunately, we're still dealing with patients who will die of, of this cancer. And quality of life is part and parcel of how we help patients make decisions about their treatments so that a, a treat, we don't want a treatment to be harsher on the patient than, than the disease, disease itself. And often we can find a balance where we're helping patients live a bit longer, but also with better quality of life. Okay. Thank you very much to uh, both Dr. Jim Biaggi, Dr. Rob Natal, and uh, to our callers. And uh, don't forget, Free For All Friday is coming up. So if you didn't have a chance to get on, we can continue the conversation then. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.